You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. We've thought about this before. Why do we consider the signs of the times? Uh, Not because we're media junkies, not because we are obsessively uh, interested in current affairs for the sake of current affairs, but because we are watching and waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, our master says, and it's recorded for us in Luke 21, verse 36, Watch ye therefore. So we are waiting and watching uh, for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We open the pages of Scripture uh, and we try and understand where we are in God's plan and purpose. Uh, We we look and we see what is happening in the nation states uh, and we compare that to what God has left on record. And we have confidence that God's plan and God's purpose is being worked out, that we are moving towards the return of our master. And when that happens, we will stand before him. I wonder how often you consider what that will be like. For those of us who are baptized, we meet together week by week to share emblems of bread and wine, to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for each one of us. But what will it be like to stand before him, to see the resurrected, immortalized Lord Jesus Christ, who has returned to this earth to set up God's kingdom to bring righteousness and justice to the earth. It is a truly, in the fullest sense of the word, awesome prospect that stands before each one of us. And so as we see events unfold, we are assured that that day is close at hand. And young people, for those of you who understand the scriptures but have not yet committed your lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, there will come a time when the day of opportunity is past, when, as Brother Pete was saying yesterday morning, time will be no more. We've thought a lot over the last couple of days about doors opening and doors closing. And there will come a time when that door closes. Let us ensure that when that time happens, we are on the right side of the door and not on the outside. 28th of May, 2019, was the last time we had a Signs of the Times address here in this room. Uh, I know there are some new faces, and it's great that we've got new faces in the room uh, this time around, but many would have been here three years ago when Brother Barnaby uh, was stood here, and he was giving the Signs of the Times uh, address. It's 1,099 days ago since that took place. And if Brother Barnaby had stood here and said, this is what's going to happen over the next three years, we'd have gone, really? We're not going to be allowed to go to work. Our children aren't going to be allowed to go to school. We'll only be allowed to go out for one hour each day to exercise. We won't be able to meet together in our ecclesial halls and share fellowship face to face. We would have gone, "Ah, really struggling to see that. But it has been a truly incredible three years. One way we might think about that is uh, the change in leadership around the world. Uh, When we were last having our Signs of the Times address here, uh, Theresa May was still the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Angela Merkel was Chancellor in Germany. 
Donald Trump was President of the United States. Benjamin Netanyahu was Prime Minister in Israel. Vladimir Putin was still in power. And in the time that we've been away from here, he has changed the laws in Russia. In the beginning of 2021, he passed a law that allows him to remain in power until 2036, unless our Heavenly Father intervenes and cuts that short. So he could rule until he's 84 years old. And as we've seen the events unfold over the last few months uh, and have seen the actions that he has committed his nation to, uh, we wonder what this man could achieve if he was allowed to see that term through. I wonder if I was to ask you to write down a list of key things that have happened in the last three years since we've been here, what, what those would be. We could spend hours going through all the things that have happened over the last three years. And one of the benefits that we've had is that there is so much material available to us on a regular basis, whether that's daily, weekly, monthly, signs of times, addresses, a whole host of information that's available to us that we can go and look at. And we can't possibly cover all of that this evening. So here are five things. Uh, that I think have fundamentally changed since we were last together three years ago. Uh, we've had the impact of COVID, and we're going to spend a moment or two thinking about uh, each one of these. Brexit has been enacted. The Abraham Accords have been signed. Our ecclesial landscape has changed in the last three years. And of course, most recently, we've seen the Russian special military operation, otherwise known as an invasion of the Ukraine. So let's spend a moment or two thinking about each one of those. When we were last together, Theresa May had already tendered her resignation and said she was going to stand down as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and pass the baton on to someone else. And Boris Johnson was elected as Prime Minister, went for a general election on the mandate of let's get Brexit done. And on the 31st of January 2020, Brexit was enacted. And so after 47 years the United Kingdom left the European Union, exactly as we expected from our understanding of prophecy that at the time when the end events would occur, Britain would stand separate from the rest of the world. Yes, a significant trading partner. Yes, a core ally, but, but politically, economically separate from the rest of Europe. And so in the time since Brexit has been enacted, we have seen changes uh, Britain has been able to develop trading relationships with a host of key nations, uh, particularly in the UAE, Saudi Arabia, and the Gulf states. And so as we now read Ezekiel 38, we see more clearly uh, how that alignment is coming uh, together. But perhaps most interestingly, we've seen over the last few months that that separation from Europe has allowed the British government to take a, a much firmer stance in relation to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, being able to stand and be vitriolic in, in its criticism of Russia, whilst the rest of Europe is trying to figure out what are we going to do about oil? What are we going to do about gas? Uh, how are we going to keep our factories and our homes heated as, as winter approaches? And we are hearing already 
comments of appeasement coming from Europe uh, to Russia. Uh, and, of course, the Ukrainian president is, is horrified by the prospect of, of some form of deal being done or, or some form of deal being imposed on him uh, because Europe needs to remain uh, on relatively positive terms uh, with Russia. But Britain is taking a completely different stance and, and clearly has got under the skin of the Russian leadership. Uh, you will have seen there's a whole host of British politicians which have been banned uh, from entering into Russia, not supposing that many want to go at the moment. Um, and then there was an article on the Russian state media with, with a suggestion that if Britain continued to supply arms and resources uh, to the Ukraine, then one of the possible outcomes could be a thermonuclear attack. Now, that wasn't said by a parliamentarian, it wasn't said by uh, the Russian government, but it was said on state-controlled media. And clearly, the stance that Britain has taken uh, has irked uh, the Russian leadership. The Abraham Accords, perhaps one of the pinnacles of, of the Trump uh, presidency. Between August and December 2020, then the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco began to normalize their relationship with Israel, joining, joining Egypt and Jordan in seeking peace and trade with Israel. And that process continues. So just over a week ago, it was reported that President Biden is seeking to negotiate the transfer of two very small islands uh, that sit between Egypt and Saudi Arabia and transfer them from Egyptian ownership to Saudi Arabian ownership. And one of the expected outcomes of that is that Saudi Arabia will then look to normalize its relations with Israel as well. That will be a significant point in the outworking of prophecy. And while that's taking place, then Saudi Arabia have already committed to invest money for the very first time into Israeli businesses. $2 billion is going to be invested by the Saudi Investment Fund into Israeli businesses. It's perhaps interesting, this is being facilitated by Jared Kushner, uh, who you might remember is the son-in-law to President Trump. Uh, and Jared Kushner was the architect, or one of the architects, behind the Abraham Agreement uh, as well. Uh, and so we see these significant geopolitical movements uh, taking place. And so we come to COVID-19. There are now 526 million uh, reported cases uh, around the world. All but two countries in the world have reported uh, cases of COVID-19. If you want to know what the two are that haven't, then they are Turkmenistan, uh, and if you don't know quite where that is, it's just north of Iran and Afghanistan, or, or Tuvalu, uh, which is a series of islands halfway between Australia and Hawaii. So if you want to avoid COVID, that's where you're going. Uh, Tuvalu sounds much nicer than the other place, though. <laughs> As of those 526 million cases, there have been 6.3 million deaths. And I don't want to underplay the significance of those deaths. But if you were to compare it with the Spanish flu in 1918 and 1919, uh, during that pandemic, there were 50 million deaths. And of course, the reason that the death rate has been so much lower is staying at home, 
wearing masks, using hand sanitizer, all the injections that most of us have had and all the other protocols that have been put in place. But perhaps the legacy from a global perspective of COVID is the economic distress that is brought upon the world. The, the latest estimate of the cost of COVID-19 is $12.5 trillion. And that, if the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't return, is a cost that our children and our children's children will continue to pay into the future. But closer to home, brethren and sisters, what's been the impact on our community of COVID-19? There was a period of time when we couldn't meet together in person. We resorted to Zoom, which was great for being able to continue contact with one another. But I would suggest to you that COVID-19 has left scars on our community. There are some ecclesias which closed and are not now able to reopen. There are some brethren and sisters who now think that meeting on Zoom is just as acceptable as meeting in person to share emblems of bread and wine, even though they might go about the rest of their daily activities week by week. There are brethren and sisters who have chosen to join virtual ecclesias because that more closely aligns with their understanding of the teachings of Scripture. The fact that we're all here, brethren and sisters, says something about how we think about all of those things. And so in a Christ-like spirit, we need to reach out to those who have not yet come back. We know the words of Hebrews 10, verse 25 very well, where we are instructed not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as, some, as is the manner of some, literally as is the ethos of some, as is the habit of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. And we see the day approaching. Let us reach out and encourage those who are struggling to come back as we see the day of our Lord approaching. But the Daffith last night spoke about the changing face of our global community and was reflecting that about 50% of our community is now in Africa. But closer to home, the face of our community has changed significantly in the last three years. I'd like to have a show of hands if you're a member of an ecclesia that has not had any contact with an asylum seeker in the last three years. Just look around the room. That is a tiny proportion of those that are in uh, the room. Our UK community has changed dramatically over the last three years. Uh, this is a screenshot from a video which was circulated at the end of 2019, which was really helpful uh, for those of us who hadn't yet had uh, any interaction with uh, those who were seeking asylum in the United Kingdom. Uh, and and partway through that, that video, it was stated that, and this is the end of 2019, that there'd been 250 baptisms of those who had fled from Iran. Today, that number stands in excess of 1,000. Now, to put that into context, given that the vast majority of those who have been baptized, who are seeking asylum and are male, hands up if you're 40 or under. 
Sorry, let me try that again. Hands up if you're 40 and under and male. Okay, that's a, that's a reasonable number. It's estimated that today, 50% of our brethren in the UK who are 40 and under are of Iranian heritage. Half of our brothers and sisters, sorry, half of our brothers aged 40 and under. And so we have seen an incredible change in our community. Changes of and challenges around language, culture, tradition, style. It's almost like the mission fields come to us. We see a changing face of our community. And of course, more recently, uh, thinking about other significant events that have occurred in the last three years, uh, we've seen the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and we'll think about that in a little bit more detail uh, in a few moments. And while all of that's going on, we as a race upon planet Earth today are continuing to destroy uh, this planet and consume its resources at a rate which is just not sustainable. Global temperatures continue to rise. Sea levels continue to rise. Uh, hopefully you can see on there that in the 10 years between 93 and, two, and 2002, uh, they'd risen by an average of 2.1 millimetres a year. In the 10 years from 2013 uh, to January 22, it had more than doubled to 4.5 millimetres a year. Uh, and the economic impact and the social impact of climate change is being felt around the world today. Cast your minds back to November of last year, COP26 in Glasgow, uh, when the great and the good got together. Politicians, scientists, environmentalists came together and said, we, we need to do something about this. I know we keep talking about it, but we really do need to do something about this. The scientists have predicted that once the temperature increases by 1.5 degrees over the baseline rate, then there will be catastrophic climate changes. When they went through all the pledges that had been made, those historic pledges, those pledges that were made at COP26, it was calculated that that would take the temperature increase to plus 2.4 degrees, far beyond what the scientists predict will cause catastrophic changes. And of course, since COP26 in November of last year, Russia has in invaded the Ukraine, and many of those commitments, uh, many of those pledges have now been set to one side as nations try and figure out uh, how they keep their economies going uh, in light of the challenges that an invasion has brought. And as we consume more resources, we also increase the population. Today we're at 7.9 billion people uh, on planet Earth. It's predicted that in the last couple of months of this year, or the first two months of next year, there will be 8 billion people on planet Earth. Uh, and I find this a staggering chart. It took all of history to 1803 or, or thereabouts for the first billion people to be on planet Earth. It took another 124 years for the second billion, 33 years for the third billion. And then from that point on, it's been 15, 12, 12, 12, and it will be 12 years till we get to the 8 billionth person on planet Earth. And everybody on planet Earth wants more of the resources. Everybody wants a better lifestyle. Everybody aspires to what they see in other parts of the world. And so we look at these events that are taking place around the world, and we see God's plan and purpose being worked out. 
we see uh, with increasing assurance the nearness of the return of our master. But as we think about these things, we, we must also look at ourselves, both individually and collectively uh, as well. Uh, Brother Matt read for us from Paul's second letter to Timothy uh, and the third chapter. As Paul is beginning to draw his thoughts together as he pens his uh, last letter. And he talks about the fact that there will be perilous times that are going to come upon the earth. And then he goes through a list that's recorded for us. And as we make our way through uh, the pages of Scripture, there are many, many warnings which are set before us. Warnings about the behavior, the attitude of, of individual brethren and sisters. Warnings about false doctrines, false teachings, false practices coming into the household of faith. And so whilst we're looking at the world outside and we're thinking, what's going on? What's going on in Russia? What's going on in Europe? What's going on in Israel? We also need to examine ourselves as well. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, we read in the first five verses uh, this list. And we ask ourselves the question, who is Paul writing to? And what is Paul writing about? Well, he's not writing about the world in general. He's not saying this is what it's going to be like in the world out there. He's talking about those that are within the household of faith. He's talking about those that are within ecclesia. And we look through that list. And we know that that's the case, that he's talking about those that are within the household of faith, because we carried on reading in verse 8, Now as Janice and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further as we make our way into verse 9. And brothers and sisters, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we a sign of the times? either individually or collectively. Because as we've been reminded and exhorted by Brother Stephen, before we can comment on others, we need to think about ourselves first. And cast your eyes down that list towards the end. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such Turn away. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. When we examine ourselves, brethren and sisters, where are our priorities? Is it in serving our God to the very best of our ability? Or, or is that somewhere on the list? But there are other things that we'd rather do first. It's about priorities, isn't it? Or we could look at the list as another example in Galatians chapter 5 and compare the works of the flesh with the fruits of the Spirit and say, what are we bringing forth as individual brethren and sisters? Are we manifesting the works of the flesh or are we demonstrating and bringing forth fruits of the Spirit? Because we live in a world which is seeking to influence our thinking at every turn and every opportunity. And we need to keep coming back to the word. We need to keep coming back to the teaching and the doctrine of the word and not allow the thinking of the world, the social agenda of the world, to influence our thinking, but to rely only upon the scriptures of truth. 
and Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And on that day, as we've been reminded already, we will either be a sheep or we will be a goat. When the harvest is brought in, we will either be in the harvest of the wheat or we will be in the harvest of the tares. We will either be inside the wedding banquet when the door is closed or we will be on the outside and we'll be banging on the door saying, let me in. And it will be too late. And so as we see all of these things taking place in the world round about us, let us examine ourselves first and foremost to ensure that we're not looking forward to something that will condemn us to eternal death, but that we're looking forward to something which will give us the blessing of life eternal in the kingdom of God upon this earth with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the risen saints. One of the core themes that Paul talks to Timothy about is the importance of holding fast to sound doctrine. It applies, of course, to us as individuals. It also applies more broadly across our community. And as we make our way through the writings of Peter and John and Paul, time and time again, we come across the warning to look out for false doctrine, for false teaching. Think of just these examples in relation to the Ecclesia at Ephesus. When Paul asked for the arranging brethren to come and see him when he's at Miletus, he says, come and see me. I've got something to say to you. And in the middle of uh, the conversation, the exhortation that he gives, he says to me in verse 29, there are going to come some wolves from outside who are going to seek to destroy the flock. And then as he addresses those that are in his company, he says, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. From those within the ecclesia at Ephesus, Paul says, men shall arise speaking perverse things. When he writes his first letter uh, to Timothy, as he's left him to go to Macedonia, he says, I charge you that they teach no other doctrine. He's aware that there is the beginning of the teaching of false doctrine. And Paul says, Timothy, I charge you. It's your responsibility, Timothy. Don't let them do it. Hold them to the truth. Hold them to the doctrine. Hold them to the teachings that you have been taught. And he exhorts him to give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. And then when he writes his second letter, his to Timothy, his final letter, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And so as the Apostle Paul is imprisoned in Rome, as he's penning these heartfelt words to his son in the faith, Timothy, he exhorts him. He pleads with him to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Hold fast to sound doctrine. And, wait, and whilst it may be uncomfortable, brethren and sisters, you know as well as I do that there is false doctrine, there is false teaching, there is false practice within our community today. Brother Mark 
Ulfrey is going to speak tomorrow evening on the danger of theistic evolution. But as Stephen Hole has been taking us through Paul's, later, Paul's letter to the Ecclesia at Galatia. And in chapter 1, we read these words in verses 8 and 9. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which, he have, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that he have received, let him be accursed. It is another gospel. And so, brethren and sisters, what are we doing about it? Brethren particularly, what are we doing about it? We've been thinking about Hezekiah with Brother Stephen Palmer. Maybe the time has come for a Hezekiah-esque outreach. Those letters were sent to the northern tribes. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, we read what happened when the post arrived. They went through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun, and they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. But not everyone. Because we read in verse 11, Nevertheless, divers of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves, and they came to Jerusalem. Food for thought, brethren and sisters. And so we can look at the events in the world round about us. We see the outworking of God's plan and purpose. But we need also be to be looking at ourselves individually and collectively. So let's move on. Let's think about the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. The 18th of February, this is one of the slides you could have put up this morning, Brother Pete. Vladimir Putin said, my military drills are purely defensive. They're not a threat, as Western leaders warn that invasion is imminent. I've got 120, 150,000 troops around the border with the Ukraine, but, but don't worry, it's purely a military drill. I've got no intention of invading at all. That was the 18th of February. Uh, two days later, on the 20th of February, uh, a comment was made and concerns were raised that Russia was using deception as a pretext for a Ukraine invasion. Western leaders warn. Daniel 8, verses 23 to 25. Uh, pick out some of those phrases. A master of intrigue will rise to power. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction. And we see that, don't we, as we see the images come in uh, from the Ukrainian cities that are being bombarded day in, day out. He will be a master of deception and will become arrogant. He will destroy many without warning. Could this be a prophecy about Vladimir Putin or potentially a successor uh, to Vladimir Putin? And so having said, no, 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 all of these troops, it's purely a military exercise. No need to worry. I'll withdraw them. It's, it's all part of a, a programme on the 24th of February. 
Uh, we woke up to the news that Russia had begun its special military operation, its invasion of Ukraine. And as of lunchtime today, uh, this is the area that Russia has captured. Its focus is clearly on the area of the Donbass, and, and I'm not going to go over again uh, the ties to Magog and the Scythian Empire. Um, happy to talk about that uh, afterwards, but there's clearly a focus on, on this part of Ukraine uh, and also being able to secure uh, entry and exit for the Black Sea uh, ports. Look at the military might that Russia has compared to Ukraine. And yet, three months in, progress is slow. There was an expectation among many that Russia would roll in and within a few days, most of Ukraine would, would fall. I don't think Brother Matt Davis is in the room this evening, is he? No? Uh, I remember listening to his talk at Rugby Prophecy Day and looked at the watch and said, well, probably by about this time, Kiev has fallen. Probably. Russia has made incredibly slow progress, but is grinding it out and has reverted to missiles, tanks, as it seeks to grind down Ukrainian resistance. But let's think about what some of the implications are of the war in Ukraine. Well, one of them is it's caused Finland and Sweden to say, oh, we're a bit worried now, actually. Uh, we know we've, we've not wanted to join NATO before, but we'd really quite like to join NATO now. Uh, we'd like to have the protection of all of these other countries as well. You remember Russia was saying one of the reasons it was so uh, worried about Ukraine, um, that it was a de facto NATO country. And it didn't want more NATO boundaries on its border. Well, up until this point, Russia's only got 440 miles of NATO borders. Uh, once Finland and Sweden uh, come into NATO, that will extend to over 1,200 miles, a significant expansion of NATO borders on the border of Russia. But one of the consequences of that could be very interesting, which is Turkey's position. The Turkish president has said in an interview two days ago, as long as I'm, as long as I'm president of Turkey, no way. You're not coming in, and because every member of NATO has to agree, he effectively has a right of veto. Say, you can't come in. I'm not going to allow it. We wait and see what the outcome of that will be. Whether Turkey will be pushed closer and closer uh, to Russia. But it's not really a war between Russia and Ukraine. Look at the amount of aid and support that has come in from other countries. And this was counted up until the 10th of May. Nearly 25 billion euros worth of support from the US. Second, the United Kingdom. And then a whole list of countries. And you would not be surprised if at some point in the very near future, Vladimir Putin turned around and said, I'm not really fighting the Ukraine at all. I'm fighting all of these other countries as well who are providing training, support, economic aid. But interestingly, when the Ukraine have most recently asked for some long-range missiles from the U.S., then the U.S. are now sitting on their hands and thinking, hmm, not sure about that at all. They've heard the words of Vladimir Putin, which is, if one of those missiles comes into our country that you've supplied, we are effectively at war with you as well. 
And so we see an, an increase, an escalation in tensions, not just between Russia and Ukraine, but with all of those countries who are today providing economic and military support to Ukraine as well. But there are two other key facets that we need to be aware of uh, in relation to the war between Russia and Ukraine. And the first is in relation to energy. Headline here, Europe must confront Russia's weaponization of oil and gas. The amount of energy, gas, but particularly, sorry, oil, but particularly gas, that is supplied by Russia uh, to Europe is a real problem. When I went to bed last night, I updated a slide uh, because the EU hadn't been able to agree a deal in terms of how they were going to rein back on uh, the oil that's coming into Europe from Russia. By the time I woke up this morning, it had changed, and they'd agreed a, a compromise overnight, and they said, well, tell you what, we'll stop any oil coming in by tankers, but the oil that comes in by pipeline, we'll, we'll allow that to come. Because Hungary had said, we, we can't deal with that, and we, and we see a fracturing of Europe uh, as each country looks to its own needs, thinks about its, its own priorities, and says, we, we can't go along with this block veto. We, we need that supply. And so a compromise has been reached in relation to oil coming into Europe. But China is still the most significant export partner for uh, Russian oil. And again, over the last few months, we've seen an increasing closeness of the relationship between Russia and China. But gas, now that's a lot more interesting. Hopefully you can see, yes, you can see the map there. Uh, the pipelines that run out of Russia through Belarus and the Ukraine into Europe to supply gas. Uh, and oil is relatively easy to deal with. You can tanker it around the world. Gas is a lot more difficult to find alternative supplies to. Uh, and we can see how reliant mainland Europe is, uh, particularly Germany, Czech Republic, Italy, on Russian Gas. 66% of German gas comes from Russia, and it might be fine at the moment and over the next few months as we make our way through summer. But if this issue isn't resolved by autumn and winter, then there's going to be some real problems in Europe. And we're already seeing, and we all feel the effects of increasing energy prices as you get your letter from your energy supplier to say, great news, I've just doubled your direct debit. And so it goes on. And within all of that, and we've been talking about it for probably the last seven or eight years now at Bible School, Israel has found huge deposits of natural gas in its territorial waters. How incredible that at the creation of the earth, our Heavenly Father put these natural resources into the ground to be found at such a time as this. And so Israel is now seeing an opportunity. It's going to up its exports to Europe to help lessen dependence on Russian gas. And just today, there was an announcement made that Israel aims to fill Europe's energy void. The Israeli energy minister, Karin Elhari, said, said exploration for new gas fields that had been put on hold would restart. She went on to say, alongside the real and sincere concern in Europe, there is a real opportunity for Israel to export natural gas to Europe. We're really concerned about what's going on in Europe, 
but we've got an opportunity. And as we touched on this morning, Israel is going to do that broadly in partnership with Egypt. It signed a deal to transit its gas down into Egypt and then for Egypt to transit it to Europe. Imagine how that's going to get under the skin of the Russian leadership as they see alternative supplies coming into Europe. And of course, the motivation then to come down and do what uh, is written for is in Ezekiel 38, to come and take the spoil. And, and that which is written for is in Daniel chapter 11, to flow down uh, into Egypt uh, as well. But amongst all of this, Israel's walking a, a tightrope. Europe's not happy with Israel because it went imposed sanctions on Russia. Russia's not happy with Israel because it keeps flying its jets over Syria. And for the first time, just a couple of weeks ago, fired its missiles at Israeli planes. So concerning Europe, concerning Russia and Israel, trying to find this narrow path down the middle. The Israeli people blame Russia for what's going on in the Ukraine. The Israeli politicians are walking a tightrope. But since the beginning of the conflict, over 20,000 immigrants have come back into Israel. Those who have right to stay, right to set up home, right to settle in Israel, predominantly from Russia. More and more are coming back to the land. And amongst that group, there's a really interesting uh, but small number of individuals, Russian oligarchs. We've all heard about them over the news with their huge yachts, their, their private jets, their, their mansions around the world. Well, here are eight Russian oligarchs who have rights to live in Israel. Their combined wealth is 77 billion US dollars between eight men. And this article said if they choose to relocate and set up permanent residency in Israel, it could reshape the Israeli economy. And so, as the war progresses, the World Bank warns of global recession due to conflict. And one of the key facets of that is the amount of crops that are produced within Ukraine and Russia. Uh, you can see the charts there that show how much Ukraine was predicted to account for in terms of global exports. 90% of rapeseed, 80%, 18% of barley, 12% of wheat. And Russia is seeking to militarize those crops uh, as well. Uh, here's a chart. All, all you need to know on this chart is that the green and the pink areas are where cereal and sunflower is grown in the Ukraine. Remember the map earlier of the area that Russia's taken control of, the Donbass region? It's the same area. Russia is now gaining control over the cereal and sunflower harvests. Brother Pete Eggington was telling me earlier that uh, by the end of this year, based on his professional uh, understanding, the price of a loaf of bread in this country will more than double. I had to ask him what the price of a loaf of bread is today. <laughs> but doubling in just a few months. And that might mean we've got to tighten our belts a little bit, that things may become just a little bit <laughs> uncomfortable. But for our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, for the Middle East, which is hugely reliant on wheat imports from Ukraine and Russia, it could have a catastrophic effect. 
price of fertilizer, that which is needed to grow the crops, is escalating almost exponentially. The price of wheat uh, is going up at a rapid rate of knots. India, looking at what's happening, has now said, well, we're not going to export anymore. We're going to keep it all to ourselves. We don't believe there's going to be a stable supply going forward. So just to be on the safe side, we'll keep everything that we've got. And while all that's going on, Vladimir Putin has effectively blockaded the Black Sea and is now holding the world to ransom and saying, if you want wheat out of Black Sea ports, then start to release the sanctions that you've put in place. And at the moment, the world governments are going, no, we're not going to do that. Let's see what happens over the coming months. Six days ago, there was this headline, the West must break Russia's blockade or the world will starve. Or this headline, Apocalypse Now, the alarming effects of the global food crisis. Pestilence, war, famine, they are all before us as we sit here this evening. And we know that the outcome of each one of those is death. And so the time will come when this headline will be written. Russia will invade the Middle East. It will come down into Israel. It will overflow into Egypt. Luke 21, verse 28. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And brethren, sisters, and young people, that's what we must be doing now. We must be looking up, lifting our heads, because our redemption does indeed draw nigh. But I want to leave you with one final thought. Sunday afternoon, just gone, you're on your way to Bible school. I think many of us willfully ignored the instruction of the committee not to turn up before four o'clock. We turned up and there was joy. There was delight that we could meet together once more as a family, in person. There were hugs. There were embraces. For one or two, there was a shaking of the hand. There were tears of joy that those that we hadn't been able to see for a period of time, we we could now see, we could spend time with, we could spend fellowship together around the word of God. And as we go forward from this point, I want you to lock into your mind what that feeling was like on Sunday afternoon when we were able to come together for the first time in three years. Because the time is coming, and it clearly is coming soon, when there will be an even greater day of joy. We've been thinking about, from First Thessalonians, the time when the Lord will return with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. If it was wonderful to meet brethren and sisters who we'd not seen for a year or two, 
Imagine what it's going to be like when the Lord returns, when the graves are opened, where we're caught up to be with those and to meet the Lord. A mum, a dad, a grandma, a grandpa, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a beloved brother, a beloved sister. Brothers and sisters, let us take this day of opportunity to prepare, to watch, to fill our lamps with oil, to be watching and waiting for the one that we know is coming, even our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.